Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I am Charlie and that is Reed. How are you doing, Reed? I am doing well. I just returned earlier today, I was saying, from a little trip to Chicago and now I feel like I'm back and fully thrown into the college football season starting so i'm excited i did some research and stuff on the plane yeah i can tell uh, <laughs> a lot of listening to uh to Hithliday's, uh podcast on quack 12 he did an interview with robert reynolds of dgd who we actually went yep. on that podcast back in the spring to talk a little bit about this oregon georgia game um and so that was cool Hithliday always uh, is obviously as we often say an invaluable resource in how much film study he does uh more by quite a magnitude than anyone else in this fan base especially of opponents i think Um, yeah definitely and so that was a really interesting uh interview if you want to get further into the kind of the details of the georgia roster so i'd recommend that to to anyone how about you i'm pretty good you're talking about a quick trip to chicago my guy (laughs) (laughs) that sounds great I'm heading up for I'm gearing up for a quick trip to Atlanta for this weekend. Um, so if any listeners want to like hang out with me, invite me to their tailgate, whatever. Uh, I I am selling my soul. I will be open to doing so. Just hit me up on Twitter. Um, but in all seriousness, I'm pretty excited for this trip. I've never let me think. I've only traveled for like two Oregon games before. I think. And one of them was at Reezer and the other one was up in Seattle last year, which like is not going very far compared to getting on a plane and going to Atlanta. So I'm super excited for both of those things. Hopefully the result can be indicative of success for the Ducks, whatever that may mean to you. Um, <laughs> obviously, we're hoping for a win, but, you know, we'll get into why that may or may not be the case in a little bit. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited for this matchup. Um and really excited to get actual football going again. Um, it's been, it feels like a longer off season than usual, just based on how much drama we've gone through. Um, and I think more than any year, except maybe last year because of the pandemic, I'm looking forward to actual football being played. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah I completely agree with that. I mean, the whole coaching search and then, Obviously, recruiting and everything's thrown for a loop in general, but then the conference realignment stuff especially was a whole other (laughs) headache uh, and kind of existential crisis for the program that is ongoing, I guess you could say. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Maybe trending in a good direction. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's always tough to tell. And, I mean, you can't really be predictive of those sort of things. And even if you are, it doesn't doesn't really help at all. Um, Anyways. Let's talk about this game. Uh, Let's kind of set the table in terms of what we expect before we dig into it a lot. Um, And then we'll kind of see how those those expectations might be recalibrated towards the end of this preview. So, in general, Reed, how are you feeling about this matchup? Yeah, I've, I've had this line in my head a few times, and I think I probably said it before. I obviously compare this to the Ohio State game. I mean, it's a similar setup with going against a blue blood of the sport early in the season. We all get the parallels. I think that in comparison to that, I would say I feel more confident that Oregon can be competitive uh, and kind of hang around in this game. But I think I feel less confident that Oregon's going to win. 
Uh, and I, that mostly stems from, for me, the fact that I just view Georgia as a really balanced team. You know, mm-hmm. we'll get into some of the details of it, but I think that there's a lot of position groups where I feel like, hey, maybe, you know, Oregon could compete here, uh, but I don't see many fatal flaws on Georgia's team uh, or really almost any areas of, of huge advantage for Oregon where I'm saying, oh, if Oregon if Oregon can really do this thing well, they're going to win. They have yeah. an advantage here that they can capitalize on. Uh, it's more about hanging around and, and trying to have a lot of things go well in different areas just to really be competitive with Georgia. Um, but on the flip side, there's also not one position group for Georgia that, uh, I mean, the tight ends terrify me, but, you know, it's it's <laughs> kind of a part of the passing game rather than like, I think Ohio State's full offense with the receivers and the running backs and obviously Stroud leading the whole thing last year really felt like if things went wrong, Oregon could lose by uh, 30 or 40, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I don't maybe feel that way, but how do you feel? Not good. Uh, <laughs> this, this is a position I, I stated on our last podcast and just in general, um, I mean, if you're an Oregon fan, you can convince yourself via a number of different routes that the Ducks have a chance in this one. Um, I mean, you can point out the two returning defensive starters or whatever the low number is. You can point out the fact that Stetson Bennett's the quarterback. You can point out just the returning production really across the board. Um, But there are just a lot more obvious things to point out that go the other direction and tell me that Oregon is not going to do well in this game. Um, again, I'm, I'm not here to be a downer. Uh, I am very willing to be convinced otherwise by you, uh, (laughs) that we have a shot in this game. Um, and I mean, shit, man, at the end of the day, like this is college football. Anything can happen. We know that. Uh, so, you know, you root for chaos in a game like this and you just kind of see what happens. I am no less excited about the game. Um, I am no less like, uh, I'm certainly hopeful. That doesn't mean I'm optimistic, but I'm hopeful. So. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not willing to concede it completely, but I think that, I mean, one thing that's rattling around in my head as we get close to real college football is I'm remembering last season a little more and thinking mm-hmm. about all of the fan bases who played Georgia last year and thought maybe <laughs> it will be competitive. And outside of Alabama, not only did they not lose a game, but it wasn't really ever competitive. I mean, the no. Clemson game in the first one, but that was a very weird circumstance. And after they hit any sort of rhythm, that Georgia team demolished everyone. You know, teams like mm-hmm. Arkansas, who we thought, oh, maybe they'll be good. All these teams just went through them. Auburn, whoever it was, it was never as competitive as you maybe imagined it would be. Florida had a great game against Alabama and against Georgia you know, it it just was. (laughs) So I I think about all those fan bases uh, and those teams in the SEC who aren't short on talent. I mean, Oregon's a really talented roster, but a lot of those SEC teams have a a lot of talent as well. And Georgia pretty much (laughs) blew out almost all of them. uh, Yeah. Or at least convincingly beat everyone. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, a team like Arkansas, when they played them last year, they were top 10. Right. Kentucky was borderline top 10, if not in the top 10, when they went to Sanford and got blown out. 
Um, again, being in the East, Georgia had a relatively easier schedule than than a team in the West, but the SEC West I'm referring to. But even so, I mean, you're still playing Auburn every year. You still played Alabama twice um, and only beat them once. And, I mean, you still got to play teams like Tennessee and Kentucky, and they caught Arkansas on the, the cycle. Right. Those are tough teams. Those were legitimately good teams. Uh, I'm referring mainly to Kentucky and Arkansas. Like, they yeah. would have a chance at winning the Pac-12 yeah. <laughs> in any given season. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, um, right. I, I'd be worried if we were going to Arkansas week one or yeah. something. You know? Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah. So you think about that, and then you think, like, well, it wasn't competitive when that team played Georgia. But we'll see. Um, yeah. The other question I kind of had on here, too, is is just kind of what does this game mean? How do we feel going into it? Oregon's been down this route before. If you mm-hmm. go to, like, I mean, the Ohio State game last year is obvious. The Auburn game in 2019 is another similar one. Uh, and then there's, like, Michigan State if you go back, you know, that home-and-home. And, home. and even, like, the LSU game way back when yep. uh, is probably the last time Oregon played a team quite of this caliber, you know, a, a true uh, national title co-favorite or whatever, you know, in a in an opening game. Uh, it's probably yeah. that LSU 2011 game. Uh, how do you feel about just kind of what this game means? What's what's the ex- what's the significance of it? Somewhere, okay, significance wise, I mean, this it kind of depends on the outcome, doesn't it? Right? Because right. if Oregon somehow wins this game or even makes it like a, a legendary close game, then it's up there as like one of the all-time most important. Uh, especially in the regular season. I mean, on its face, you could look at this as the most important regular season game of all time. Uh, I mean, we said that last year about the Ohio State game, and, you know, this is arguably a bigger magnitude. I mean, shoot, we're playing against the team that literally played and won the national championship in their last game. So technically speaking, like, it would put it a rung above. The thing that makes it different, though, is the level of belief, or I guess non-belief, um, that I have and that a lot of fans have about this game. Honest, I mean, the belief level falls somewhere in between Ohio State and the second Utah game last year for me. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's kind of where a lot of the fan base is at as a whole. Maybe they lean more optimistic, I'm not sure. Um, if we get blown out, how important is it really you know <laughs> yeah. um i think so i think it has a higher ceiling in terms of importance like a higher potential ceiling but in all likelihood probably a lower overall uh importance than the ohio state game again since that's kind of the benchmark of what we're comparing it to similar to like if we had won that ucla game in 2011 to open the season right that was 2011 yeah the lsu Um, game yeah yeah if we had won that game you know it's super important since we lost it eh, you know you'll kind of forget about it now yeah yeah yeah. what about you where are you where are you landing this thing yeah no i think you put it really well uh it definitely has the potential to be a crazy game i think that some of the pressure is taken off by both the fact that uh, it's a new coaching staff, right? And they're they're national champions. You know, it's kind of 
no one really expects Oregon to win this game or even really to be competitive. I don't think uh, it would be that big of an embarrassment uh, as long as Oregon puts some points on the board or whatever. If it, if it's a 34 to, you know, 13 game, mm-hmm. it, I don't think people would be surprised exactly um, or really judge Oregon that harshly because of it. And then I also think I mean, honestly, winning the Ohio State game kind of takes some pressure off of this one to me. I remember going into that game and thinking, well, Oregon was going to have a chance in this big non-con to make this big non-conference statement at home versus Ohio State, canceled because of COVID. You go on the road to Columbus and you think, well, we lose this one. And I, in my mind, was always like, well, around the corner next year is you play Georgia in Atlanta. Yeah. Like that's not going to be an easy game to win. And if you lose that one too. Then all of a sudden it's you lost to Auburn, you lost to Ohio State, and you lost to Georgia. I think that now having beaten Ohio State, I don't think there's any big feeling that Oregon can't compete on the national stage uh, or kind of is going to fall down in these big moments as much. So I think it's could mean a lot, obviously, if they're competitive. But I think I'm more focused on judging this new coaching staff not by game one versus georgia even though it's the biggest stage but by how they do during the season and i do think this game has a tremendous potential to kind of shape the way that this team approaches the rest of the season and even if it's not the game that we go back and rewatch, say oregon loses by 10 or 15 or or 14 or whatever it -hmm. could be the game that kind of this team gets some confidence and even in a losing performance that propels them to a really positive season that could start off the landing era well. Um, You're thinking of the same game I'm thinking of, aren't you? Auburn which, 2019. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. That's true, of course. Um, yeah. It was interesting. I talked. I put out a poll on Twitter. You're talking about the fan base expect- expectation. I just said, how are we feeling? And I had uh, a few outcomes for this game. Ducks win... People said 41% uh, said Ducks win. Obviously, high. Um, <laughs> ducks lose by seven or less. That was 23%. Uh, ducks lose by eight to 17. Uh, so that's kind of like covering, but not necessarily a one-score game. Yeah. 27% said that. Uh, and then Ducks lose by 18-plus. Blowout. Georgia covers more. That was 9%. Um, hmm. so kind of an interesting snapshot of where the fan base maybe feels about this one. You know, I wondered that ducks win thing. Sometimes people see a poll and they have to vote it, um, yeah. to be a, feel like they have to vote it to be a fan. I wondered gun to your head. I think a lot, a lot of people probably fall in the seven or less or the eight to 17 camp, I would guess. And that's kind of where I fall as a fan right now, but we'll see after we kind of get into this preview a little more. Yeah. I I find it hey, I mean <laughs> as the people in the the replies are saying about your poll, I I'm I'm proud of this this Oregon fan growth we're seeing. <laughs> I mean, 41 only 41% predicting an outright win against the defending national champs like that's pretty good, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I was worried when I you know, like first 5 minutes after I posted it's like 70% ducks win. I'm like, "Oh, Jesus. <laughs> this looks really bad." Um, but it it settled down into 41%. You know, I mean, that's what what do you expect yeah. from a fan base? Yeah, yeah, I of guess. course. Um, yeah. and again, I love that confidence. Like 
but I'm not I'm not going to say that on a podcast because <laughs> I'm here to try to be impartial. Yeah. Um All right, so yeah, you want to dig into this thing? Um like yep. really really dig into it. Obviously, there's the landing in Georgia connection up front and then Brian McClendon kind of not getting a lot of pub uh on the other side of in terms of quote unquote knowing the roster. Uh I'm not sure how much a wide receivers coach would compare to a um defensive coordinator but i would expect similar actually i mean you would expect the coaches each coach on each team to know a lot of information about everyone on the team so um first off the bat like do you think that'll play a part in this at all i don't know i I, it's tough to really focus on it for me right now like i i just figure dig into the rosters in a lot of ways it's an interesting piece uh, and it could p- play a factor. I just feel like it's so hard to know what it, what effect that will have exactly. I mean, how do you feel about it? I, I kind of where you at. I don't. Even if it does make a difference, we won't ever, as fans, we won't ever be able to see that difference. Right. Um, at least probably not. So I think it's a cool connection, and it's cool that these staffs have like different stuff going on at each place. But yeah, I'm I'm not necessarily expecting it to play a huge factor um again like even if you know a team like georgia's game plan in and out like exactly what they're going to do the hard part is stopping it (laughs) and the real part that comes in is being able to adjust to it Mm -hmm. uh which again first year head coach versus the one who just won the natty like on its face not looking good on paper but i'm gonna try to stop being so damn negative in, in this and really just get into it so um georgia offense ducks defense first up yep that's what i have and and i can lead it off a bit um we talked a little bit about some of this stuff obviously on the season preview but this is a little more detailed and in depth um again you know you look at the start of this offense the skill positions uh quarterback running back wide receiver they're all really good for georgia but not necessarily elite not scary is what i put on the document uh, and I think that's a fair assessment. You know, Stetson Bennett, people might know the deal with him. I don't know what people's perception is exactly, but he won a national championship there. I think of him as a certainly good college quarterback. Um, as I wrote, you know, he can really air it out deep on throws. But one of the things that Hithley talked about a bit is, you know, being able to throw like sideline to sideline that you know, with rhythm and especially get that velocity on the ball to th- make it in some of those tighter windows. Uh, mm-hmm. His arm talent just isn't, you know, absolutely elite. It's not quite what we face against C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or whatever. You know, he's a very good college quarterback, but some of those things that make someone a first-round NFL pick, he doesn't have, right? Um, yeah. But I don't think that means he can't be effective. Uh, and... The other part of it is, you know, last year he had a certain committee of people around him. I look at kind of a quartet of players in James Cook, Samir White, George Pickens, and Jermaine Burton. Those four guys, along with the tight ends, obviously, for Georgia, kind of created their attack last year or were the defining pieces of it. And obviously there's a lot of depth at wide receiver, uh, which is going to step up this year and take in some of those things. But I think that those four guys are all gone, uh, and especially the duo of, of Cook and James Cook and Zamir White are kind of unique playmakers that 
I'm interested to see if Georgia will have a real replacement for. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your what's your kind of impression of what they lose and and just kind of how you view this offensive attack in general? I mean, you sort of spearheaded it at the top by saying like they don't reload at this point, or they they don't lose guys at this point. They reload. Um, they've been recruiting. I think the blue chip number for Georgia is what seventy seven percent, something like that. Seventy yeah, percent, really even? up there. No, yeah, it's, um, it's high. It's close. It's pushing eighty if it's not there already. Yeah, for comparison, Oregon's at like sixty, and that's sort of on the lower end of the blue chip ratio amongst like what are there like 25 teams every year that that fall into it like yeah if that 20 (laughs) to 25 i think it's really a pretty small sample size so essentially my point is like they have guys stepping up who who will be for real i mean mcintosh and milton are very solid options at running back for them still um and again with that offensive line that we're about to talk about i'm really not concerned with georgia's ability to be able to move the ball on the ground Again, I would love to be proven wrong. I mean, last year against Ohio State, which we will keep referencing, the game plan was, the entire game plan was let them get their underneath routes in, let them, you know, get some yards on the ground. We'll try to stop them as best we can there. But really, when it comes to making Stroud make tough decisions in the red zone, that's where we're going to make our money. And it was. I mean, obviously, anyone who watched that game, that was the difference in the game was our red zone defense. So... You know, hopefully we can find something similar against Stetson Bennett. Um, again, though, the tight end room in particular is what really scares me when you get down to the red zone. Um, there's just not a lot of guys around the country that can defend that sort of thing. And while Oregon has some length on defense, uh, guys like Bridges and Bennett Williams, I mean, this is kind of a different breed uh, when it comes to, to stopping these Georgia tight ends. So, yeah. Yeah, I think those guys put Oregon in a really tough position. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. If there's an area Oregon doesn't have an answer to, it's the tight ends. Like, if those guys are clicking and Stetson's putting the ball in the right places, they're nearly impossible to defend. Mm-hmm. Um, and Oregon, I am really – go for it. What were we going to say? Well, I, I, I was just – I was just going to say, I, I don't feel like Oregon has anyone that I think is a perfect, that's experienced and like a perfect foil to those options at tight end. Maybe yeah. you disagree with that, but um, I mean, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I don't think there is a perfect foil for, right. for tight ends like these. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. Um, in terms of the running backs though, I mean, again, running behind this offensive line I, I think anyone could really do it. The question is how Lanning defends it because we know his specialty is in the front seven. And if Georgia really wants to control this game, obviously you typically do that on the ground. So if Georgia does get a lead, I'm actually interested to see how the Ducks respond on defense. Um, because at that point, if you can stop the short stuff and keep, get your offense the ball back enough times, I mean, obviously that's your only route back into a game you're losing. If Oregon are ahead, I'm really interested to see how Stetson Bennett is used to attack this Oregon defense. Again, it's probably going to be with the tight ends. Um, But, I mean, in the Ohio State game, like, we never had to see Oregon defend against an Ohio State team with the lead because they never got the lead. 
Uh, yeah. I think it'll be a little more difficult to do that against this team, but in terms of game control and the way Lanning's had to play defense with Georgia, it's always with a lead. So, I yeah, I'm, I'm essentially just really curious to see how that shakes out. Um, there's so many, like, there's such a wide range of possible expectations here that, and I'm not good enough at dissecting schemes to even say them, but suffice to say there are a lot of different options for how Lanning can choose to defend Georgia. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that... Um... It's interesting. I mean, obviously starting with like running the ball with Georgia running the ball, like Oregon being able to stop that is kind of the first question of like how you build this defense of scheme. You know, if the defensive line can like be competitive and get a push and especially, I mean, one thing I I mentioned was like the Oregon linebackers are at least legit guys. Sewell and Flo are going to be ready to shoot gaps and, like, make some plays here in this run game. Mm -hmm. I think of, like, the big stop Sewell got on fourth down at the end of the half first Ohio State. And, um, you know, like, they can can come up and, you know, I mean, yeah, I think McIntosh and Kendall Milton, the running back for Georgia – for running backs for Georgia, they're really talented, no doubt. But I mean, so are Sewell and Flo. Like they can, yeah. they can hold their own in those matchups. Um, and I was think I, I compared it to like, think back on Ezekiel Elliott bulldozing through Oregon's yeah. linebackers in yeah. the <laughs> national title game. Like, at least we're that that isn't our linebacker core anymore. We can hold up in the run if the defensive line kind of keeps it clean enough up front you know Mm -hmm. i mean if guys are getting to the second level and their offensive linemen are getting a hat on our linebackers that's going to be really hard but if the defensive line can hold their own i think that if you're just putting sewell and flow in one-on-one matchups with mcintosh and milton i mean this goes back to the same thing i said at the top like look i'm not talking bad about milton mcintosh i'm not saying that this is an easy win for oregon or anything but ultimately, like, that's a matchup Oregon's going to have to live with if that's what they get set up in. And it's yeah. not going to be a – it might not be a blowout advantage for Oregon, but, like, that's – Oregon's going to have to win that pretty straight up, you know, pretty fair, pretty even one-on-one matchup and turn it into an advantage by just being – having those guys play like first-round talents that they can be against some really highly rated running backs. Um Mm-hmm. so that's that's one of those areas and i think that it'll be interesting to see like how does this evolve that's step one is is if oregon can do that then where does uh, where does georgia turn um i mean you look at the tight ends that's obviously a big part of it that's going to be hard to stop at receiver um i think losing burton and obviously losing george pickens hurts they have a few guys who are really talented um ad mitchell and lad mcconkey are are two guys that they talked about a lot in the podcast uh that hithla they did um mcconkey is a bit smaller he's i think only six feet tall and maybe like 180 but he's an outside receiver uh and just really fast and then their mm-hmm. lead guy is a true sophomore ad mitchell um and so i'm kind of game planning this out i'm thinking you know well if you're oregon you think like it starts with Christian Gonzalez. He we brought him in to be the elite corner that we thought Mikhail Wright might be. 
can he shut down A.D. Mitchell and kind of at least win that one-on-one matchup? And again, it's a hard one. It's going to be competitive. Like, it's a good player versus another good player. But you have that. And then on the other side, who's your cornerback too? How does he handle McConkey, who's going to be really fast? Because you look at a guy like Dante Manning. If that's who wins the corner job for Oregon, he's fast enough. He's athletic enough to be with anyone. I mean, that's why Manning was a five-star. But you look at all the mistakes that Oregon had in coverage, like in the Alamo Bowl, if if you make those mistakes, like even though it's inexperience on inexperience, a wide receiver's mistake is so much less costly than a corner's mistake. You know, mm-hmm. one blown coverage, and that could be seven points. Uh, and if you do that a few times, which is frankly what we've seen the sample size of Dante Manning so far in his career, is if you put him out there for a full game, there probably will be a couple blown coverages. That cornerbacks do that and then sometimes they learn and they become locked down corners after they get some reps under their belt uh but that's gonna need to those guys who whether it's manning or maybe it's bridges at corner uh cornerback two whoever that is is gonna need to be playing pretty sound uh assignment football because otherwise i mean mm-hmm. you know but stetson's <laughs> gonna be looking for a shot over the top if it's there yeah, and both those guys, McConkie and Mitchell, did factor in in the downfield passing game. McConkie, especially last year, was kind of the the main deep threat for them. Um, obviously, Mitchell is the one who caught that game-winning touchdown in the national championship uh, on basically a an, basically a go route. So that threat is certainly there. It certainly existed with the Ohio State receivers as well, and I think this is the most. Um, you know, this is where the, the comparison between the two games comes in the most, right? Again, Oregon was able to keep everything underneath them in that game, other than mm. Mikhail Wright checking the play when the play was starting. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I'm not even necessarily putting that on him. It's just kind of what happens against Ohio State. Um, again, this is a easier assignment in that sense. How about on the Oregon side of it, though? Like, do you trust Gonzo plus likely Manning, maybe Bridges slash whoever, uh, more than you trusted last year's corners? I'm curious. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think I, I, the matchup I might trust more just in that it's not Alave and Wilson and Njigba. I mean, these guys yeah. are talented, but they're not quite what that wide receiver trio was um, maybe, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think Gonzo is the best corner of that group, uh, but um, I would take DJ James over anyone in the cornerback two race right now. I mean, I think we all know yeah, that. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah. we'll see, but I, I don't know. There's so little knowledge about these guys right now, right? I mean, like I said, cornerbacks yeah. can take a turn. You know, you look at on the other side, which we'll get into for Georgia, like Keely Ringo for them. Another, I think he was borderline five star if not a five star uh he took he he tried to you know get take over the starting job during last season and he went out there and there was a few times where he had those freshman moments and got burned on a few plays early in Georgia season it didn't hurt them because mm-hmm. they always had a huge lead uh but then he put it together and now going into this year everyone looks at Keely Ringo and says he's a potential first team all-american um yeah. 
so sometimes that's the way that cornerbacks learn. And I think, I mean, the fall camp and everything and, and spring has been so shut down. There's been so little that's come out really about where this Oregon team is or about a specific player, like what the race at cornerback two really looks like because no one outside of the team has seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know what to think of that, but it's certainly not a sure thing that Oregon's going to be able to defend those guys at all. Yeah, and I would, um, I, I know you mentioned him, but Kiaris Jackson is a guy who can really hurt you as well. I mean, yeah. he returned, I think he's Georgia's main return man, if I remember correctly, from last year. Um, and, I mean, <laughs> safe to say, the dude is athletic as hell. Uh so, you know, it's hard enough guarding a guy like that in the slot, but then you mix in some of these possible tight ends that are lining up, and it's just really difficult. Um, by the way, Jared Denny, uh, our colleague over at Scoop Duck, my guy, just wrote an article about, it's, the title is literally, How Will Oregon Deal with Georgia's Loaded Group of Tight Ends? So, in case you're wondering, he's got a little more detail on that. But um, we can give some here. Uh, <laughs> simply put, Reed, how does Oregon deal with Georgia's tight ends? <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't know, really. Um, I don't know. I think that you just have to, I, I mean, I think individual guys have to step up, obviously. Like, there are some options with length. It sounds like Brian Addison is coming on and might be a potential starter at safety for Oregon. Um, nice. Jamal Hill's pretty long, obviously, uh, at the nickel position. And so those are those are names uh and they have length and they're pretty athletic but i mean they haven't been locked down impact players yet at oregon really jamal hill you know flashed obviously in the um 2020 conference title game versus usc and and has had good points in his career and then brian addison was a high four star out of high school who was split between rider safer and safety transferred to Oregon, played a little at wide receiver, but we haven't seen him super in super meaningful moments in the Oregon secondary. He's gotten some spot, some looks there, but um, I, I don't know what to think about that. I think that you just have to hope some things go your way there. You're not going to win that matchup probably, and we didn't see anything uh, when Oregon faced Utah, obviously, that would suggest that they're very good at uh, handling quality tight end play. In fact, it said pretty much the exact opposite. <laughs> so I think, you know, it, it might be as simple as you just hope that Stetson misses a few throws here or there. You hope that, you know, Triquez Bridges or Brian Addison's flailing arm hits a pass up in the air that <laughs> Noah Sewell can grab or something. And maybe if you just, you know, get that one interception or whatever it creates a little bit of doubt um or it's able to offset the 80 yards that brock bowers picks up in that another 45 <laughs> that darnell washington gets and whatever else eric gilbert is it you know yeah. i mean I, I don't know if there's a way that you're going to be able to really solve this puzzle hopefully landing has a better idea than than me at least yeah well, I mean, again, I don't really have anything to add to that. Uh, that's what it's going to take is, like you said, Bridges, Hill, Addison, Bennett Williams, people like that stepping up. I don't even know how confident I am with our linebackers in coverage. I don't know if that'll 
be something we have to do or not. That's a question for Lanning. Um, but yeah, I I think kind of what this all circles around is the offensive line. I mentioned earlier it's one of the best in the country. Um, they did lose like one bona fide starter and one guy who who's kind of in between. Um, this is where Oregon really made another difference, made up another difference that we thought might not be an advantage for them in the Ohio State game last year. Was their front set, our front seven, pretty much dominating Ohio State's offensive line when we needed to? Obviously, yeah. that sack at the end of the game was, I think, the only sack of the game. But in terms of controlling the line of scrimmage, the Ducks did a relatively good job of that on the offensive and defensive lines against Ohio State. Uh, is is that something you think they might be able to do again, or is it looking less likely? Uh, I mean. I think there's a chance. I do think there's a chance. I think, uh, I mean, I like Oregon's defensive line a lot, right? We've said that in the previews before, mm -hmm. and I feel really good about this group in Pac-12 play. Uh, I think it's really deep, obviously adding three power five level transfers as depth pretty much. Um, and then guys like Dorless and Popo and Keon Ware Hudson, obviously those three as the kind of starting group are really veterans at this point uh and have played a lot of football and, and been through some tests together so i you know i think there's a chance um one thing hithliday's talked about was you know in his grading out system which obviously grading percentages aren't, aren't perfect but they're indicative in a lot of ways and and he noted that he felt like the pass blocking for georgia was a fair amount ahead of their run blocking um mm. Not that their run blocking was horrible, but just that it was, you know, a little bit worse. And that he said at times, you know, he felt like Cook and White, the running backs that are now in the league, obviously, um, from Georgia, kind of cleaned up some of those flaws and were able to make a guy miss or find a hole that maybe wasn't that clear or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I mean, Milton and McIntosh have all the talent in the world, but are they going to be as quite as dynamic of runners are they going to be able to solve those problems when they're confronted with a guy in the backfield um, or confronted with not the cleanest hole quite in the same way I think is a question um, a little bit you know and and it's not to say that they can't do it because uh, I you know I don't want to look foolish when inevitably on Saturday you know Milton trucks a dude in the hole and <laughs> rumbles for another 25 yards or whatever because i'm sure that will happen at some point but but if oregon can hold their own and if this defensive line can take another step up uh and rotate you know take advantage of all the depth that it has and just hold its own for a long time there's a chance to stay in it um i think you know i kind of talked about like one of the things i wanted to say is if it goes good what does this look like and I think that, well, well, we'll see. It depends, obviously, the situation of the game. If Oregon gets yeah. up early or if they're losing or whatever. I think one way it could look good is, you know, Georgia is somewhat effective in the run game. Uh, it's probably, you know, Oregon's probably not going to blank them uh, and not let them get anything on the ground. But they're somewhat effective. But it kind of lulls Georgia into a conservative game plan similar to what they did against Clemson 
Uh, and Oregon's able, you know, Georgia will move the ball a little bit, but Oregon shows up on some big downs and just keeps this at a low scoring game. Um, and I think that, you know, but I think part of that is that Oregon would need a lot of help from the Oregon offense in this scenario. Like if the defensive line is going to try to play to a stalemate on the other side, the Oregon offensive line needs to play to a stalemate as well. And, you know, if if this game wears on and the time of possession numbers are getting so slanted and they're slowly chipping away at the field position battle, you know, that's how they strangle you out like they did to Clemson last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the, the other option is you just kind of hang around and you're competitive enough that it's just a close game uh, and a game that maybe both teams are comfortable not taking major risks until the end and then you just hope things go your way. Uh, and you hope that, you know, w- the dam doesn't break on a big touchdown uh, throw over the top or that the tight ends don't really get in the rhythm that you might be worried that they will. Um, yeah, again, in the same yeah. way that we were just worried about a, a deep ball from Ohio State the whole time. Um, right. And it and never came in that game, that. really. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Never- it never came to the degree we thought, you know, and, and that's kind of what I'm talking about is in that game the we say, you know, the clock kind of ran out on Ohio State. Uh, and maybe this game doesn't, you know, feature Oregon having a lead the entire time in the same way, but maybe the clock runs out to the extent that it's still competitive in the fourth quarter and there's a chance for the ball to bounce the right way for Oregon, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. I mean, again, I don't <laughs> – I don't know how much of that Clemson game you remember from last season, but it was like a three-point game or was no a seven-point game that never really looked close. Um, even right. when it was still, even <laughs> you know, when you watch college football games, you're like, oh, this game is at seven points. Like, oh, I should probably turn it on. Like, that's really close. It was the biggest seven-point gap I have ever witnessed in any game. Like, Georgia yeah, had exactly. complete control the entire time. And you knew even Clemson's offense, Clemson's offense was not going to get anything done. Like, yeah, that's, that's wild to me. And of course, DJU ended up being a little bit worse than people expected last season, but right. I think it's yeah, also we, worth note. Go for it. Well, we learned some of those Clemson offensive problems weren't uniquely caused by Georgia, but yes. still it was. Yes. Yeah. But I think it also is fair to say that every team that, and every team that played Georgia last season got considerably worse after playing Georgia. And yeah. I, I don't think those two things are just coincidence. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, I do, in that sense, I do like that this is at the beginning of the year. You know, we can clean some things up. We can learn a lot from this game, even in a loss. Um, and, you know, like we said about the Auburn game, if it goes good, like, yeah, we can take what take what got us here and keep it rolling for whatever reason for stuff that goes bad it's clear things we can improve on um so yeah we'll we'll see how it shakes out but do you have anything you want to add on that side before we move to Oregon's offense yeah I think well I think a good segue to the offense is as I mentioned like part of this defense I mean, this is a close game where, like, or if Oregon wins, it's going to be a close game where Oregon doesn't have a huge margin in one any one area to kind of, like, stack up a dominant win on. 
And so it's going to require the offense helping the defense as well and putting them in a good position. You know, the defense could play a great game uh, for two and a half quarters. And if the offense stalls out every drive, uh, Georgia's going to run up the score. And, and it's going to yeah. look bad, even if we will go after the game and say, you know, actually this defense played as well as you could possibly ask them to. But similar to what happened versus Utah, there were tons of three and outs. The, pos- the momentum stacked up. The field position mm-hmm. battle was lost. And there's no way Gave you can Gave up ask... like every third down stop opportunity you possibly could have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's just no way you can ask this Oregon defense to come put a shutout on Georgia if the offense isn't helping them out at all, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, <laughs> let's see then how we might respond to uh, that tactic, yep. I guess. Um, so on D- Georgia's defense, obviously, you know this already, it's pretty much the greatest college defense of all time. I mean, maybe one of those Alabama teams from the last few years can can pluck that title, but for my money, I'll I'll take I've never seen a defense have the sort of speed and ability that Georgia's did last year. Yeah, especially um, in this era of college football offense. Like yeah, you man. look at the early twenty tens Bama defenses, yeah, they were dominant, but they weren't dealing with these type of offensive attacks and dominating games. No one's done that in the way Georgia did last year. Which is why I think a lot of us were so eager to see the Oregon-Alabama matchup when they were both in their prime. So anyways, that's right. a whole different story. <laughs> uh, point being, um, there are three, three and a half starters that return from this team. Uh, Keely Ringo, the corner that you talked about already. Chris Smith is the safety. Uh, Jalen Carter, their defensive tackle. And Nolan Smith, an, an outside linebacker. All four of these guys are going to the NFL. Uh more people on this defense will also go to the NFL. Um, again, they're reloading at this point. They're not replacing or whatever. I can't even remember the old cliche at this point. because They're only not rebuilding, they're reloading. Reloading, rebuilding, thank you. Yeah. Um, anyways, as we mentioned on the last episode, uh, five of their 15 top tacklers are returning from last season. Um, but, I mean, dude, Nolan Smith was good enough to be a starter on any damn team. Same with Jalen Carter. I mean, the dude was an absolute animal. Like, the only reason he wasn't starting is he was behind other NFL players. Um, I mean, Ringo had the game-winning pick, or not game-winning, but the pick six to seal the national championship game. Uh, you talked about his development, and obviously he was, uh, he was looking at Oregon at one point in his recruitment. Uh, what an arc that is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they lose lose guys, obviously, uh, like Lewisine and uh, <laughs> every literally everyone else that, that was on their defense. But um, how are you feeling about Oregon's chances to move the ball? Do you feel better on this side of the ball or worse than, than on the defensive side? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I don't know if I could – I think I feel kind of similar for pretty different reasons, I guess. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's different. Um, but I wouldn't say there's one place I'm super excited. I mean, I think this is weird because Oregon offensively outside of the offensive line is pretty unknown. Yeah. Uh, and Georgia's defense is pretty unknown. And I feel good about both groups. I think have a lot of talent, um, and there's a lot of potential there, but we haven't seen it a lot with the majority of the pieces on both sides. So I think that's an interesting place in terms of my evaluation of Georgia's defense. I think I've gone through 
the right process of kind of looking at, you know, you start with last year, you say, okay, that was the greatest college defense of all time. Then you're like, okay, what did they lose from last year? Oh my God, they lost Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker and N'Kobe Dean and, you know, Lewisine and all Tindall, these people. Quay Walker, like you can keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh my God, they're probably not going to be very good. And then you look at, okay, who do they have coming back? And you're like, whoa, they returned Jalen Carter, <laughs> who's maybe a top two defensive player in the country, and Keely Ringo, who's a first-round talent at, uh, at corner, yeah. and Nolan Smith, who was rated above Kayvon Thibodeau and probably will go in the first round of next year's NFL draft. And it's like, oh, this defense actually is still really, really good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting, right? I mean, on but but it's it can both be really, really good and still be worse than what last year's was. Uh, yeah. It will be a long time probably before we see a defense as good as 2021 Georgia again. Uh, I think you start at the defensive line. We talked about this before. Um the easy parallel here is is what Oregon faced in 2019 uh, with Derek Brown leading the way and uh, Marlon Davidson, I think, Big Cat Bryant uh, of Auburn's 2019 defensive front. And Jalen Carter is that guy for Georgia. Um, there's a lot of other depth behind him, but he's the dude. Uh, and the other guys are very good too, but probably not as stacked, obviously, as last year's was. I mean... They don't have both Jordan Davis, who we all know the story of as a nose tackle, and Trayvon Walker, who was the number one pick in the NFL draft, and mm-hmm. Jalen Carter behind them. Uh, so it's a drop-off from last year, but it's really you know, a huge challenge for Oregon still up front again. Uh, and if you look over at the Ducks, you say, well, this offensive line kind of resembles maybe a light version of what Oregon was going into 2019. These guys are pretty veteran now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forsyth certainly is weathered, as is Walk, Big Sala. You know, all those guys have been through a lot, um, been, been through a lot of games at Oregon. TJ Bass, obviously, probably the best player on the Ducks offensive line. Um, and it's just a question of whether I think they can transform into that veteran offensive line group that carried the Oregon offense in 2019 and kind of replicate uh, the success that that group had in the battle against Auburn to open the 2019 season. Um, It's not, as with all these spots, you know, I don't think that these guys are going to dominate Georgia's defensive line. You can take that off the bingo card, kind of. (laughs) Jalen Carter getting pancaked probably isn't on there. Uh, but, but maybe, you know, maybe you're running for what, 3.5, four yards a carry. Maybe that could happen. You know, maybe you can get to five yards a carry. Maybe you can get to five and a half if you're really doing well. Like we'll see, it's going to be, it's going to take a lot of these other position groups going well and having slight wins. And it's going to take the Oregon offensive line doing their part and getting enough of the push and the running backs behind them fighting for extra yards here and there and winning their matchup by a tiny bit in order for this Mm -hmm. game to be competitive. Um, And the other thing I I wrote is, you know, Georgia's probably going to get through on a few of these, right? Like Nolan Smith, um, Dan Lanning had an interesting quote about him uh, 
kind of being like the, the he said that the defense kind of embodies Nolan Smith's personality that he's kind of their leader yeah uh you know Nolan Smith's probably going to get through at some point on Bonex <laughs> and you hope that that aligns with the time that you know Bonex is struck by the gods and has some magical escape and finds Troy Franklin running 30 yards downfield and things just work out like that's the night it's going to have to be for this to kind of go well for Oregon in some ways um you hope it's not the play where you know Bonex runs around and loses the ball or whatever or throws an interception <laughs> like it's gonna have to align sometimes the bad plays are gonna the bad plays by the o-line have to align with Bonex having some composure and being able to get out of it um even if it's not a big gain throw the ball out of bounds or whatever uh yeah. and and live to fight another down because if this is a close game it's going to be a long and competitive one uh where mistakes for it's going to be a necessity i think for oregon to force some mistakes from georgia and it's going to be crippling if the ducks make many mistakes of their own yeah and i mean there are always opportunities back into games and those come in the form of turnovers right. uh i liked you know hopefully obviously hopefully the ducks can win the, that turnover battle that would be a big difference and a possible win um kirby smart had a great quote this week because oregon still hasn't technically named a starting quarterback <laughs> he said quote we know who the quarterback's gonna be <laughs> um and i i like how we didn't even mention that um to start talking about the qb room it's gonna be bo Nix, and he's played georgia four times and i'm pretty sure he's lost every time correct me if i'm wrong on that uh um, pretty sure you're right on that um so yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, man. I do. I did like your point that this is the most unknown side of the ball on both teams. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, I'm more curious to see what this looks like. Um, but, well, because here's the thing, right? Comparing Oregon's defense to Georgia's offense, they could, you know, Georgia's offense could be like middle of the road this season. You know, maybe they're in the 50th percentile of all teams, maybe they're in the, you know, 25th or like the fifth percentile. Um, but yeah. on defense, we pretty much know Georgia's going to be in the top, like 10% of all teams on defense. Like if they're not a top 10 defensive team, it'll be like a failure for them. Um, and that's even higher than the top 10% in college football. So I, I would love to take some positive things out of the offensive side um, I mean, if some crazy shit's going to happen, it's, it's, I would expect it to happen on defense, not necessarily offense, crazy shit as in good things for Oregon. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, I like your point in here about Oregon's running backs are, are a big unknown. I mean, we've been hyping up Cardwell for a while now, but that's all talk and he hasn't. You know, he's shown us some talent in these games, and we can talk, you know, we've talked about how when he played for Oregon last year, it was, like, often in worse spots than Dai was getting. But in general, you know, maybe he can do something. Maybe a guy like uh, Bucky Irving and Marquis, or uh, Marquis Irving and Noah Whittington, guys we haven't seen before for Oregon, like, maybe they're playing better than expected. Uh but it's going to take a team effort on offense. Um, 
if you could highlight one portion of it that we're pretty secure in, like you said, it's got to be offensive line. But, I mean, who's our running back too? Do we, I mean, probably Cardwell, well, then Irving, then Whittington, right? Yeah, I think I think those are the three. And honestly, some of the little breadcrumbs we've got are, I mean, some people think Irving might start the season over Cardwell, which really? is a development in the past. I mean, it's kind of been bubbling up i guess for a little while but as people have gotten more confident in the past week or so and uh we'll see if that happens right i mean i think he's a maybe a more physical downhill runner uh than cardwell is uh and that might be what's needed in a matchup like this um but lachlan has really spread around carries wherever he's been um and I so and and so has uh, Dillingham. So I think you can expect all three of those guys to have a pretty solid role, and and maybe Sean Dollars as well uh, could have a decent role in this offense. But I mean that's going to be important for this game, right? Like those those carries yeah. are going to be hard. Uh, so it'd be nice if one guy didn't have to take thirty of them, you know, and and three guys could take eight of them instead or whatever. Because I think. It's gonna be um, it's gonna be a battle, right? If it's close, I mean, maybe maybe it will just be a brutal bloodbath on in Georgia's favor. But if it's close, it's gonna be a battle, and it's gonna be one because these guys are fighting for every you know extra yard they have, um, mm-hmm. and it pairs up well with you know the inside linebackers for Georgia if there is a biggest unknown or a biggest weakness of their team, it's their inside linebackers. Uh, not that there isn't talent. Again, I mean, if there's one thing you can take away from this review of Georgia, it's like this is one of the most healthy, talented, constructed rosters in college football. But I mean, obviously, but like yeah. – in almost in the history of college football really just with how much the top teams are winning recruiting battles now uh and these guys just load up talent to such an insane degree uh and they kirby smart's been going at it for so many years just the distribution of numbers and having guys ready to plug in there you're not going to find a spot where georgia doesn't have a not one capable option to play there, but like two or three capable guys. Um, so yeah, and there's talent, I mean, but they lose Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, and Channing Tindall is what I was gonna say. And Nicobe Dean, especially as you know, was the leader, the quarterback of yeah. that defense last year. Who knows what they look like without Nicobe Dean being their identity and kind of making the keys and calling that defense from the field um in their first game without him that's that's the one kind of flaw uh, that could pop up potentially for georgia i think and i mean to your point about talent distribution um in i'm i'm this is going off of bud elliott's blue chip ratio column from this year uh if you don't mm-hmm. know what the blue chip ratio is look it up it's essentially like the ratio of four and five stars on your team versus like three stars or lower um and it's relevant because no team has ever won a national title without uh hitting without being above 50 percent on the blue chip ratio 
Of course, a couple of notable exceptions to this rule are two Oregon teams who made the national title uh, just below the blue chip ratio, I believe. But anyways, his the stat I'm going for here is in 2014, so you know the last time Oregon went to a national title, uh, no team was above 75% in the blue chip ratio. And then slowly, like 2015, Alabama got there. And then there were st- it was still just Bama in 16 and 17. 2018, Ohio State jumped in. And now there's three teams that are over that number. Uh, one of them is Alabama at 89%, which is just un- unheard of. Uh, that's nuts. Then you have Ohio State at 80% and Georgia at 77%. Um, so we were pretty close on our guess from earlier. Yeah. Um, mind you, you also have teams like Oklahoma and A&M hovering right there at around the 70% mark. So essentially it, it is harder to win a national title now than it was. Uh, what is that? Eight years ago. Wow. That was eight years ago. Um, <laughs> just based on those talent numbers alone. Um, and I mean, Oregon is the only blue chip ratio team remaining. Like USC dropped out of it. Washington dropped out of it. Stanford dropped out of it. Um, I mean, and it's also funny that we are the only team in its conference. Uh, we're the only, wait, let's see. The Pac-12 is the only conference that doesn't have a blue chip ratio team favored to win it. Uh, in fact, at most books, Oregon are third to win the conference. So just some things to think about in the background. Um, again, the game is not played on paper, thank God. Uh, if it was, I don't think a lot of us would be watching these games. But Oregon does have the talent to somewhat compete in this game. I mean, again, there's no real comparison for Georgia last year in terms of like who played them well other than Bama, and that's incomparable as it is on its own. So we'll we'll just see, man. We'll just see about this game. Uh, Are you feeling any more or less confident than when we started this preview? Well, I think I... uh... I don't know how I mean I just think George is a really good and balanced team you know I said that at the start I feel that as much now as I did you know when we when we opened this and so it's not so much that I think Oregon is um not a good team you know I I, I think you could pick Oregon against the spread here uh, and still pick Oregon to go 10 and two the rest of the way, you know, or mm-hmm. 10 and one the rest of the way after this. Like, I don't think that that those are mutually exclusive outcomes or or even entail Oregon like getting that much better, being a drastically different team the rest of the way. I just think there is a world where Georgia can do all those things, but um, I also think that Georgia isn't a completely known commodity uh, yeah. and they have the chance to just be a few pieces worse than we expect in some key areas. And Oregon has the chance to be good. You know, it starts for me, like, like I said, you know, step one is competing at the lines of scrimmage. Uh, That's the prerequisite to anything else mattering, you know, to Mm -hmm. it mattering, whether you win the turnover battle or what your red zone conversion rate is or, third down conversion or whatever if you're getting pushed off the line of scrimmage it won't matter but um there's a world where i think oregon can compete at the lines of scrimmage uh and then some other guys have to be special i I mean one thing i mentioned we didn't talk about the georgia secondary that much and 
it's really good. I mean, we mentioned a few of those guys, and, and they returned some talent at safety. Uh, and obviously, Keely Ringo. Cornerback two for them has been a huge competition this spring, uh, and they have a few options that are good players there. But secondary was, if there was a flaw in the Georgia defense last year, that's what people looked at. Uh, and Alabama for one game with Jamison Williams and John Mechie and Bryce Young were able to exploit it. You know, this Oregon passing attack isn't that. Um, but maybe, you know, in other areas, they can create an create a opportunity to attack the secondary by putting George in a position where their front seven is more threatened than they were at any time last year. Uh, mm-hmm. They can, you know, create an opportunity for Oregon's young wide receivers. And we'll just see what these guys are, right? I mean, we don't really know what Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton uh, are capable in a, of in a full, real game. You know, we saw what they did in the Alamo Bowl, but in some ways that was a bit of a glorified scrimmage, I guess, Yeah. Uh, given the situation of both those programs. So um we'll see we'll see but no i'm not more i'm certainly not more confident than i was i think i feel pretty similar (laughs) i think if things go right oregon can be competitive but i don't see the same i don't i don't see a fatal flaw that really convinces me that there's much of a way i can responsibly pick oregon to win the game you know uh yeah i mean yeah or say that they should win you know they could win but to say that they that they're the better team going into it seems really, really difficult. Yeah, I mean, you're just lying to yourself at that point uh, if you say that. Um, or you're a very persuasive person to yourself, I guess. Either way, um, I might pick Oregon against the spread here. Uh, I've seen a lot of people do that. But, yeah, as you're saying, I mean, the, there's, there's not a lot of reason to believe Oregon should come out with a win on paper. Again, though, I mean, crazy shit happens every year, man. Uh, this this is a similar spread to where the line moved once we, re- I mean, once we realized KT and Justin Flo weren't playing in the Ohio State game last year. Like, do you remember? How did you feel? I'm actually curious to ask you, like, how did you feel when that happened? Because I was downright scared when I learned that. Yeah, I was I was scared too. I mean, I remember just kind of rolling out of bed to watch that game uh and watching slept wow (laughs) well yeah and and watching like uh you know game day beforehand and them just kind of piling on oregon you know basically putting them in the ground and saying it was over and oregon obviously showed up for that game and and did really well i mean i felt like um i just had i was i had gone through so many you know, scenarios about what that game would be. And I was just kind of exhausted and ready to see what happened. Uh, mm-hmm. And I didn't have that many expectations, I guess, after all of that fell fell off. I remember tweeting something to the effect of like, you know, what, whatever. The, the, now these guys <laughs> just get a chance to go out and play the game and we'll see what yep. happens, you know. And it worked out, I guess, but... I don't know. What was your memory of that? I mean, that was definitely a surprising turn of events when Oregon took that lead and and never gave it up the rest of the way. It's funny because at the time, I think we've talked about this, probably not on the pod, but um, 
we actually have a mutual friend who was on like the Oregon staff as a recruiter or like a recruiting intern basically. Um, and I hung out with him the night before at our other mutual friend's house. And he was like, yeah, they don't, uh, like Flo and KT are both not going to play. I was like, are you serious, man? <laughs> are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, no, we're keeping it under wraps. Cause like you obviously don't want that coming out the night before, but, um, yeah, so I went to bed pretty scared that night. Still excited, of course, but pretty pretty damn fearful. Uh, and I woke up, and the entire game I was shaken. I mean, when I remember the the time where I was actually most scared in the entire game was when uh, I think Travion Henderson had like a nine yard run, and or maybe it was like a twelve yard run or something for a first down. And I was like, damn it, if they're gonna be able to do that so easily like if they can run the ball 10 yards on us we are screwed like we are we are simply not going to win this game obviously it ended up being uh we ended up being able to stop the run pretty well and stop them in the red zone so that's what mattered but i mean at the end of the day i think the way we've the way you and i have like come to analyze games and preview games just doesn't vibe well with what an oregon fan should like look at this how an Oregon fan should look at this game. I mean, honestly, it's it'll be I will enjoy myself more and I think every other fan will too if we just go in like we're 6 years old ready for a game, you know? Like, "Oh, wow, I really hope the Ducks can get it done." Like you're just all optimism and all like hope. Like sometimes it's more fun to be like your mom watching a game and not really worrying about like <laughs> whether or not um our <laughs> like whether or not our nickel is keeping up with their tight end on any given play, even if it's like a random four yard run. So uh, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. Sometimes you just got to dumb it down and simplify it. Um, and sometimes it's more fun to pay attention to like the macro storylines of, Oh, how will Dan Lanning perform against his former team? You know, even though those type of things don't actually matter that much on game day, like one, when we dig in and dissect these games, those are the things that actually matter. But I think it's, there's something to be said for straight up like belief that a team has. Um, and I think the team had it last year when they went to Ohio state, didn't necessarily have it towards the end of the season. But um, again, that's why I'm happy this game is happening at the beginning of the year and not the end. Yeah. I think honestly, and maybe this is a little bit harsh, but, I think my feeling towards this game, I mean, I have some excitement for college football to be back of course. and everything, but part of it, it, it almost feels like if you've ever like, you go to the dentist and you have a big, you know, <laughs> you're getting your wisdom teeth out or something, or you're like, have a cavity or whatever. Yeah. And you just kind of, you kind of just want it to be afterwards, you know, and like, <laughs> you know what the pain is, what you have to kind of deal with or get to get to the on the road to recovery a bit more. Um, I mean, there's a world where this is a big celebration, obviously, and I really hope that's the world that we live in. But I think uh, I kind of want to just know what the damage is. Also, a part of me is is like, OK, how bad is it going to be? How much am yeah. I going to have to yeah. radic radically reconfigure my opinion of this Oregon team like how hard is this recovery going to be um we'll yeah. see because because it's just such an unknown and there's potential for disaster uh and and pain that stretches 
days or weeks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. That's we'll see how. <laughs> how do you feel? Well, last thing before we finish, I guess. Um, well, we're going to get into some other run through the rest of the slate. But before we finish this Georgia preview, I two. Well, one, do you want to give a prediction? And then another question that I think is another fun way to look at it is like, just give me a percentage chance Oregon wins. Um, I'll do the percentage first. I'm going to go mm-hmm. with, I'm going to go with 10%. 10%. Um, in terms of winning the game, or in, ter- in terms of like the spread, the score, stuff like that, uh, as, I mean, if you go by the, the spread, like what it's quote unquote supposed to be, that's something we do. We yeah. did all last year for listeners who are familiar with that. Um, it's like 34, 35, 17, Georgia. Yeah. Um, I would I would like to see Oregon score three touchdowns. If we can score three touchdowns and keep the game under, like, if we can score three touchdowns and keep Georgia under, like, 40, I'll honestly be happy. Um, I guess there's technically a world in which we do that and don't cover, but um, obviously if we cover the 17, if if we cover the 17 and a half or the 17, I'll be happy with that. Um, no matter what the scoreline is. But if we can, like for our team, you know, like my person, for my personal growth, uh, my goal for this team is 21 points or more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you put it that way, I mean, it is, I guess that's another way to approach the offense is just like, you just have, you have 60 minutes to get in the end zone three times. That yeah. that seems, a, even with how good Georgia's defense is, and of course a lot of teams weren't able to do that last year, but that seems a little more manageable. Like, oh, we only have to put three good drives together, um, but we'll see. But um, yeah, I would say the number I was going at is 15%. Uh, a tick higher that's what i had in my mind even before you said it um and in terms of score you know i at the end of the day i i would say i'd lean oregon covering 17 and a half um but i you know i'm definitely like it's gonna be a probably around a you know 13 14 to 17 point game somewhere in in Mm -hmm. there uh and might be competitive for a bit, but Georgia will ultimately kind of show that they're the better team. But I can, we can live with that, I think, too. Like, there's mm-hmm. it being this early, if Oregon's able to show that they're competitive, um, there's a lot in front of this team. You know, they have room to improve and or time to improve uh, and enough games and, and decent enough of a strength of schedule, I think, to. You know, I mean, they'll obviously have the conference championship ahead of them and potentially whatever else, you know, they, they earn the right to play for. Yep. Um, all right, man. Any Anything else on this game before we move on to maybe some, I don't know, uh, some other games throughout this week? I was going to throw an adjective on it, but we're fine. Yeah, let's 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 get past it. We'll, we'll talk about it again later. <laughs> uh, on the other side see what the damage is i guess <laughs> <laughs> god this is, this is brutal um 
All right, sounds good, man. So let's do... We're going to bring back Pac-12 picks for this season. Hopefully we do better than last season, in which we both finished with uh, losing records. But it's hard to pick stuff against the spread. Uh, if you can do that, then you should do it professionally and make money off of it. But, um, you know, even the best bettors operate at around, what is it, like 50 55%, something 55 56%, something like that. Yeah, um, exactly. So let's do some week one spreads for these Pac-12 games, shall we? Yes, indeed. You want to start it off? Yeah, baby. Uh, you got to start it. Utah at Florida. Uh, the Utes are one and a half point favorites, so it's basically a heads up game. It's a really interesting matchup. You know, obviously Utah were the best team by far in uh, the second half of the Pac-12 season last year. Oregon fans don't need a reminding of that. Florida fell off a cliff last year, ended up firing their head coach, but now they have Billy Napier in there. Did you have you seen like how many analysts this guy has? At, I know. At Florida. Oh my God, that dude! He's got like a whole insane. team just of analysts. It's wild. Yeah. Um. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, the swamp is always a tough place to play, but I mean, I can't pick against Utah, man. I, I just love the Utes right now. Yeah, I'll take Utah as well. I, I'm, I mean, I'm worried because it's a huge game for Pac-12 perception. Obviously, you have the best team in the Pac-12 or the preseason favorite in the Pac-12 going up against. Uh, middle of the road team in the SEC. Uh, I'm a little nervous though. I mean, going to the swamp in general, Pac-12 teams <laughs> outside of Oregon have not performed well in the non-conference or bowl season. Uh, Utes put up yeah, a valiant so, effort uh, in the Rose Bowl, but we'll see. So I think the, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the Pac-12's last bowl win Oregon's Rose Bowl? I think that's right. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. Yep. Well, um, I, we went over for last year, and then the year before was a little weird because I think only two or three, two or three teams played because of COVID. But yeah, yeah. Still, I mean, still. Even so, it's pretty bad. Um, one matchup I'm I'm really interested in. Uh, or sorry, so that Utah Florida game is happening middle of the day, I believe. I don't. Have I think a it's a night game. Oh, or it's like right after the Oregon game, huh? Yeah. Let's see. Um, so that'll, you know, that'll be nice. Maybe you want to decompress after the stress of watching Oregon and Georgia. Uh, you can kick back and watch that game, which is on ESPN at 4 o'clock. So, yeah, uh, you can check that out. Um, I'm, I'm going to let you play the board here, Reed. Uh, what? So we're only going to pick Pac-12 teams versus FBS opponents because – usually FCS teams pose no threat. Um, of course, it's always a little different when you're talking about the Pac-12 in recent years, but uh, the board is yours, man. Uh, give me a game you're interested in. Oh, that's tough. I, I won't take... There's there's a maybe one or two I'm more interested in, but I'll take USC off the board now, and I'll just start the season-long trend of me fading USC early. Ooh, Okay. I'm, I'm taking Rice and the 33 points. <laughs> uh, I I just have no interest in in rooting for this USC team. Uh, <laughs> I hate USC in general. I hate them even more after the hire of Lincoln Riley, and even more after they left for the Big Ten. Uh, so I'm going with Rice. 33 points is, is enough for me to say in the first debut game that something wrong will happen. Oh, also, did you see did you see Travis Dye's quote about yeah, uh, yeah. 
He was like, this is the most, what, something group I've ever been a part of. The most. He said it's like the closest unified. locker room yeah. I've ever been a part of. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Like, All right, bro. Sure. What a traitor. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that really pisses me off. Pretty much everything about, like you said, everything about this USC team pisses me off at this point. I would love nothing more than to see them fail and their faces get rubbed in the dirt by Stanford in week two. Oh, wouldn't that be great? <sighs> Unfortunately, once. I I just don't think Rice is going to beat the team that does that to USC. Even 33, I'm I'm taking the Trojans. Um, yeah, Not fair enough. And plus, you know, we can't have the same picks top to bottom. So, uh, all right, man. The next one uh, I want to I want to talk about here is Boise State at Oregon State. What I don't know if you've looked at the line or if you're looking on the dock, but what would you guess the spread is for this game? Yeah, I, 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 I know it. Um, oh, it's, damn. it's three or four, I think. Um, yeah, I have it at four as the consensus. So that's yeah, I gotcha. Of. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I would have guessed it was. Probably close to a pick I might have said Boise State in my mind was was favored by one or two points. Um, so good, good on the beast for getting some respect. I know uh, no truck stops crew. Jeez. Uh, had three of the four of them pick the beeves to have 10 wins yeah now I, I listened to that episode it was wild stuff i mean I, I i appreciate the enthusiasm for the beeves i do think they're improved this year but um for a team with a five and a half win total that seemed a little bit uh over eager <laughs> maybe but i'll take the beeves to beat boise state i hope they do uh i i, I have no malice towards the beeves um until we yeah, me neither. Them, so. They're they're this is probably like as likable as they get, perhaps. And, and honestly, I do have malice towards Boise State. So there you yeah, go. That's true. This is low key an anxiety bowl for both teams. Uh, I think that term comes from split zone duo people. I'm not completely sure. Um, but I mean, Avalos hasn't had a great start to his tenure at Boise. This is a game they would usually be favored to win. I would think. And I mean, Oregon State, if they lose this, like they're, you have to recalibrate your like conference-wide aspirations, right? Um, so I think every Pac-12 fan is certainly rooting for Oregon State in this one. Four points, I think I'm going to go Boise. Um, I don't trust Oregon State to start this season well. Uh, they have a lot of question marks, and Boise are just always a very difficult out. I'm not even saying Boise wins outright, um, but I think, like you said, I think it's a little closer to a pick 'em than just having Oregon straight, Oregon State straight up. Um, all right, let's go to what is predicted to be the worst team in the Pac-12, and I'm talking about Colorado. Uh, they host TCU, um, and TCU are seven and a half point favorites coming in. Uh, I'm taking TCU on this spread as much as I want to ride with the Pac-12. Uh, you know, Colorado, they were plucky last year against uh, certain teams. Beat UW and they played Texas A&M close back when they were a top five team. Do you see any path to victory for Colorado? Or are you going to take the, the Horned Frogs? Yeah, no way. I think this line has moved a lot. Um, I don't know. It, it might still be at seven and a half some places. ESPN has it at 14 right now for TCU. Oh, I'd really? still take TCU there. Um, yeah. But interesting that, that 
I think people just kind of uh, assume that Colorado might be decent and maybe remember their COVID season. Or just look and, at their record or something. Yeah, and it's not the case. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think TCU might be all right. I don't really know. What is it Sonny Dykes there now, I think? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't really have any. I mean, I don't know shit about TCU. I just know that Colorado are absolutely terrible. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's enough for me as well. Um, um, I'll, I'll take the next pick if that's okay. Uh, and I'll go, I'll go with Arizona at San Diego state. Uh, that, that one's a pretty exciting one. Uh, yep. you have, uh, San Diego state favored by six and a half, just under a touchdown. I think, yep. I, I guess, um, oh, geez. I don't know. I guess I'll ride with Arizona. I'm, I know I'm going back in the pack a lot, but I like Arizona enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Uh, I'll take Arizona there. This is an interesting matchup because, again, SDSU, like, beat two Pac-12 teams last year, Arizona and Utah, on both ends of the spectrum. Everybody's, like, bullish on Arizona being better than last year, but I think a lot of people are conflating better than a one-win team with all of a sudden they're going to like make a bowl game or something which i i don't think is the case uh yeah i don't either I, I, i'll give I arizona a cover here that's all yeah i think they'll cover i don't know if i think they'll win uh i hope they'll cover i guess but it's kind of a fun undercard there with oregon state and san diego state or with or oregon state and arizona's games uh both those yeah. will be really fun um, let's just bundle these last two together because they're both 23-point spreads. Um, Bowling Green at UCLA and Kent State at Washington. Um, I mean, I'll I'll choose UCLA and Kent State respectively because I'm just blindly picking at this point, and that's who I want to root for in each of those games. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll go UCLA. I guess I'll go Washington too. I kind of think they will cover this one. Uh, they've... They've shown an ability to blow. I mean, I think it'll be like the Arkansas State game last year. A blowout, the bad uh, yeah. G5 teams lose to the good FCS teams. <laughs> I like it. Um, all right, man. Uh, any other games you're looking at from around the nation this weekend? Obviously, there's Notre Dame at Ohio State kind of being the big one. But uh, you know, maybe Arkansas Cincy, does that interest you at all? Yeah, it does. Uh, I think that's where Josh Pate is going. Uh, well, I'll go through my weekend is. a little yeah. bit. You can add some. I think Thursday night, I'm excited for West Virginia-Pittsburgh. What do they call that game again? Backyard Brawl, baby. Backyard it's brawl. back. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. Old school Big East rivalry, yeah. Um, otherwise, oh, we I'm... got Penn State at Purdue as well on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think... I mean, the start of my Saturday is going to be pretty consumed uh, with that Oregon game, obviously. Like, yeah. like the Cincinnati-Arkansas game interests me. I don't know if it interests me even enough to have it on a second screen, though, uh, mm. when I really just want to be hyper-locked in on the Oregon game. Uh, I'm excited sure. to see what happens after the fact. But depending how Oregon's going, I don't know how closely I'll watch the Arkansas-Cincy game. Um <laughs> Utah, Florida, we talked about. I mean, that's probably the one I'm next most excited for. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we'll see what Notre Dame can do traveling to Ohio State uh, with 
a similar line to last year. Uh, that'll be fun. And then it's um, also nice that uh, we have games on Sunday and Monday. We have Clemson, Georgia Tech on Monday and, I, and uh, FSU, LSU, LSU, Florida State yeah. in New Orleans on Sunday. Ooh. What do you think of the Notre Dame-Ohio State game quickly? 17-point uh, spread, didn't he? Oh, any leaning? Um, I mean, I'm honestly, I, I think Ohio State will win. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think Notre Dame might be a good pick to cover there. Uh, I mean, they're they're always just decent, you know. Yeah. Um, although I yeah. am curious to see how some of these other first year head coaches around the country do, or even first spot head coaches. Obviously, Brian Kelly at FSU is a big one, and then Freeman replacing him at Notre Dame being his first uh full-time gig so interested there um narrative wise whatever usc does is gonna be you know on like the pac-12 twitter account and all these like espn these random twitter accounts uh are are gonna be stirring shit up about how great lincoln riley's offense is um so i guess it's worth seeing if they like trip over their own dicks or whatever um but yeah, I, I really like those uh, Sunday and Monday games as well. It's kind of nice how you get that on the first weekend um, before there's all this NFL stuff clustering everything up. Uh, if you had to pick one like super random um, like upset loss, where are you going? From around the country? Yeah, yeah, any of them. Hmm. Because I kind of a- like... Uh, I kind of like Colorado State at Michigan. Um, Michigan uh, obviously has not been known to start the year very well, even at home. Like, I think that could be a plucky one. Or NC State at East Carolina if you want to get kind of creative. Um, I think I think BYU uh, traveling to uh, South Florida is going to be an interesting ooh. one. Okay. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I want to see what BYU's deal is, obviously. Um and so and it's a 12 point spread it looks like is what i see uh Mm. so that'll be interesting i i hope that doesn't happen just for the sake of uh oregon's (laughs) strength of schedule uh i think that clemson georgia tech too maybe something interesting could happen there i don't know i'm excited to see what clemson is this year i guess so yeah that's uh, true yeah they've been replaced by georgia as the incumbent playoff contenders or shoe wins i guess yeah um which by the way you, do you got you got any playoff predictions oh i think well it, i think it's an interesting year so i think um i mean notre dame plays ohio state so if that game isn't close and notre dame has uh not an easy schedule exactly the rest of the way they have byu they have north carolina they have clemson they have usc uh so notre dame seems like probably not going to make the playoff i mean playing ohio state and clemson and usc uh as well as uh, some other tough games like probably two losses in there um yeah so that kind of takes out their playoff spot oklahoma has a new first year coach texas is pretty good but maybe not playoff level so like i don't know if big 12 is getting a team clemson could be back are they really though like how good are they (laughs) Like, I think that a lot, and then obviously we know the deal with the Pac-12. Maybe Utah can, you know, I think there's a chance Utah goes into the Oregon game 10-0, and 
I think that's going to be a close game. We'll see when we get there what it's looking like. But um, anyways, I, mean, I think there's I, also I, a chance I, USC just runs the table in the Pac-12. Yeah, I that could happen as well. Um, so it's interesting because I think there is a potential spot for like I think a one-loss Pac-12 champ has a pretty good case this year, just mm-hmm. based on how it's going to go. And I think also in the SEC, maybe teams will. Um, I think the Alabama and Georgia could just create complete carnage everywhere else because they're just both are so good, especially Alabama through the West, I think, with how hard the West is and still the fact I think Alabama is going to beat everyone uh, or have a pretty good chance of doing that. Anyways, that's a long way of saying I think that the Big Ten could get two teams in and Michigan uh, has a good shot of being the second team. Mm. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State Alabama has to be in there because I think they're probably going to win the national title and you know what screw it I'm going to go Alabama Georgia Michigan and Ohio State that would be a weird playoff but that would be a weird playoff those are the four I feel best about and I'll take Alabama over uh, Ohio State in the national title game wow um I, uh, shoot, man, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I kind of, like, you can't make, like, earnest playoff predictions at this point without including, like, Bama, Georgia, and Ohio State, unfortunately. Um, so I'll include those three. I'm just not as high on Michigan losing, after losing Ojabo and Hutchinson, like, two of the best edge rushers in the country, like, that, that, will control pretty much any offense it plays against. Um, I would love to pick Utah, but I also would hate to pick Utah. Um, let me go from around. Let me think. I don't think we'll have a G5 team this year, which is like, wow, crazy bet. But Yeah. The thing about Michigan is they just straight up don't play anyone that good. I, I mean, pull up your pull up their schedule if you want to, but... I guess yeah, I can run, just run through it. Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, Maryland, 4-0. Uh, at Iowa, okay, maybe. Uh, a hard game. At Indiana, should be fine. Penn State at home, Michigan State at home. Those are solid teams, like top 20. But yeah. I think Michigan's better, and they get both at home. And then Rutgers, Nebraska at home, who we just saw that shit show in week zero. Uh, and then Illinois. Like, yeah, obviously anything can happen, and probably there's a loss there more times than not. But like, it's definitely on the board, and and you know a twenty thirty percent chance that they're undefeated going into the Ohio State game, mm-hmm. something like that. Maybe I don't know. So, I'm gonna pick Texas. Fuck it. Sure. I don't want it to happen. I don't want to root for them, but these picks won't affect me in any way. I'll take Texas. Yeah. I respect that. Big blue chip ratio. I mean, talk about an easy schedule other than the Bama game. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm really close to picking Utah, honestly. Um, I just don't want to. Does it, well, it feels a little drier than usual this year, like the, the playoff field. It feels smaller than usual. Yeah, Maybe well, I think that like A&M's good, but I just don't see the path to them beating Alabama again. Maybe. We'll see. 
We will indeed. Um, anything else, man, before we go our separate ways? No. Uh, back on the other side, we uh, will have some real football to react to, some Oregon football to react to. Uh, and we'll see when we get that to you. Charlie obviously is going to the game, which I'm very jealous of. Uh, and <laughs> we'll just see where in the aftermath of uh, celebration or despair we're able to fit <laughs> or a, a podcast recording in. Yeah, so we'll try to get that done. Uh, we're we're going to try to stick to our usual schedule for those who are familiar with it already. Uh, we try to record Saturday right after the games, like as quickly as possible. Um, just to get our first reactions uh, from the evening's events or from the day's events. Uh, and then usually we drop on our previews on Tuesdays. Um, typically we start that episode right after the playoff rankings release. Um, so hopefully we can stick to that this season. Uh, and then obviously even before the playoff rankings release, we'd still like to get that done, but we will let you know. Uh, if you ever have any questions you want to throw at us, uh, hit us at Twitter on twitter at duckspod just one word duckspod um or we have an e a gmail um quackedoutpod at gmail.com um or just you know dm either one of us so or we're usually on the scoop lurking on the scoop duck message boards as well so you can probably find us there um all right if you got nothing else to announce i'm charlie he's reed thank you for listening please rate us five stars and go ducks go ducks